Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David and with me are the NCP crew, Richo. Hey, hey. Luke. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of the podcast. I do. Me too, actually. <laughs> and Crystal. Yay. Nerd Culture Podcast is a fortnightly Australian podcast that focuses on nerd culture related film, book and comic reviews with a healthy dose of opinion thrown in for good measure. Good old Aussie opinion. Not only do we have the podcast... <laughs> like that's different to everyone else's... <laughs> <laughs> it's opinion from down under. So it's upside down. Not only do we have the podcast, we also have our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com, which features additional content not found on the podcast itself. Uh, so for this episode, we'll be having a popcorn junkie on Snow White and the Huntsman, uh, the second Snow White film to come out this year uh, in competition with Mirror Mirror. And then we'll be having a round table on the, a bunch of comics. Uh, Luke wanted to revisit our. Pulp Special, and we'll be reviewing the Shadow and Spider comics that have come out from Dynamite Entertainment, and we'll also be re- reviewing the uh, before the three before Watchmen uh, issues that have come out. I did say two in the last podcast, but there actually have been three because I can't count them. And we'll also be uh, announcing our competition winner. That's right, our competition uh, finished yesterday. Uh, it was a huge response, and uh, we have our winners. And I'm sure they're very, very excited. And some uh, extra, extra good news for another, for a lucky winner as well. So stay tuned for that towards the end of the show. Up first, Popcorn Junkie, Snow White and the Huntsman. Okay, Snow White and the Huntsman. Starring Kristen Stewart as Snow White, Chris Hemsworth. As the Huntsman, Charlize Theron as Ravina, the the evil witch. Um, oh, you know, whether you cast her as evil or not, it's up to you. But anyway, the witch. Um, and a whole bunch of other people, including um, some pretty famous faces as the dwarves. Uh, Ian McShane, Bob Hoskins, Ray Winstone, Nick Frost. And Toby Jones. Toby Jones. Jeez, there was a lot. None of those, none of those actually dwarves in real life. I have to point out, all little people, Although, like whatever they're called. Well, they're Bob Hoskins is pretty close. He's, he's pretty close, but still, technically not a midget. Makes you wonder if you've got Ray Winstone and Bob Hoskins and Ian McShane, why you even need a huntsman or anybody else? Those three alone would kick anyone. Ian McShane, he did look awesome. Toby Jones does look dwarvish. He does. I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. But he's cool though. Anyway, moving on. Uh, directed by Rupert Sanders, who I've never heard of before, personally, but hey, this was his shot for the big time. And uh, like I said in the intro, uh, the second Snow White film that came out this year. So we didn't review Mirror Mirror, uh, but uh, Crystal and myself did see it. I don't know if the other boys saw it. No. no. Uh, yeah, not impressed. Do yourself a favour. <laughs> don't. Yeah, avoid. Avoid. It was very, very beautiful, but if there is boring one, as hell. If there is one Snow White film you need to see this year... Watch the Disney version. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds out Luke's opinion of Snow White and the Huntsman, obviously. Um, yeah, so mirror, mirror, avoid. So let's move on to Snow White and the Huntsman, which I thought was the better of the two. It's one of those modern retelling type deals where Snow White has been uh, locked up in a tower and manages to escape. And uh, is the Huntsman, uh, is played by Australia's own Chris Hemsworth, um, is sent off to uh, grab her out of the forest because everybody's too scared to go get it. Um and uh, bring it back to the Queen, who needs her in order to uh, absorb her, I don't know what you call it, innocence, she wants her purity, heart. yeah, yeah eat, I don't know, eat, whatever. Eat her heart, but in a more 
vampire-y type way. Yeah, it's sucker essence. Kalima! <laughs> yeah, not necessarily a physical heart, but it's at least to um, yeah, sucker essence so that she can uh, remain young and powerful and beautiful and, and look like Charlie the Rock, who is all of the above. So, yeah, and then of course, uh, Snow White meets the dwarves and uh, manages to fight back, and goodness wins the day. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. Yeah, there's really not a lot here that if you don't know the story of Snow White, mm. you really won't find anything new yeah. in, in this version of it. It's, it's pretty basic. It's, it's, it's very basic. And it's, it keeps to the same sort of beats. Do you really and, want uh, anything new in a fairy tale? You, you know the story, you kind of want to... Well, they do try to present uh, Snow White as a little bit sort of tougher and more... More Joan of Arc-like. Yeah, mm. more, more independent yeah. Than, than the classic fairy tale does. Mm. Um, but other than that... That's pretty much it. That's the basic story. What I love about your description there, Dave, of the plot there, Dave, is it sums up exactly what the plot of the film is. Sort of rambling, nonsensical, <laughs> point. There's a bit of a point towards the end. I don't know whether I'm offended or not. <laughs> no, no, you, no, no, you shouldn't be offended because that what you just described there is the plot. Yep. Yeah, I agree. It's just it's got a lot of beats that just are totally pointless, and uh, and uh, it has. I mean, it has the. I mean, it has the start, middle, and end, which is good, but it has a whole bunch of stuff in the middle. Yes. Yeah, so well, well, where are the where are the joins between the start, middle, and end? What are these things doing here? To give meaning to the start, middle, yeah. and end. There's, yeah. uh, for me, there's also a couple of a, what could have been really key pivotal moments in the film that I just don't think they quite pull off. Mm. Uh, there's a scene in. I don't know, the fairy sanctuary forest. Yeah, it's called Sanctuary. Yeah, yeah with um, a stag, which could have been a really interesting key moment if it was better directed, basically. Yeah, it's clearly um, meant to be the Lord of the Forest. Yeah. So is, is, that, is the myth the Lord of the Forest? Basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that would have been better of, with a unicorn. It's kind of just not really handled very well. And um, yeah. Yeah. La- later on you get the, the sort of classic Snow White scene with the apple. The poisoned apple that puts Snow White into her coma. coma. Um, was it if um, the Queen needed to send people out to find Snow White and she could do that all along, what was the point? Yeah, I agree. That is a good point. Yeah, that's a very good it point. Because she finds her within seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, though, it's, it's a rather badly directed scene anyway. Yeah. And it just cuts into the scene. Mm. Like, yeah. there's no even establishment. Suddenly they're, they're walking right, towards yeah. a mountain yeah. with some snow on it. Then suddenly it's Snow White by herself with... You know, in the snow, and then this. What's his name? What's the guy's name? Uh, William. 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 Then suddenly, yeah. yeah, and William's there with him, but it's like there's no indication that they've yeah. stopped. There's no indication of what the dwarves or the huntsmen are doing. But once again, it's a key scene in the Snow White story. Mm. It's possibly the most famous scene from Snow White, and. It just happens. Yeah. It's almost like they wedged it in there because they go, oh, we should put that apple scene in there. Yeah, oh, I'm pretty confident exactly. it was a bit cut. I mean, it, it clearly should have been a scene where it's established setting up with a camp. Exactly. And don't go walking off alone sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know, all really, all, of, all it required was all a good thing. Yeah, you know, 20 seconds of setup time. Yep. Um, but yeah, and unfortunately for me, there's a, I think there's a lot of that in this film. There are yep. a lot yep. of scenes that just, they should be the key scenes of the film. They should be the big, memorable moments. Yeah. But they're just kind of there. And the, just... end, the ending for me is the, that pretty much sums it up. Is uh, It should have been a big, huge confrontation. Yeah. And uh, you've got the cool the cool fight with the soldiers in the sort of the, the antechamber yeah. with those awesome-looking shard monster things. Yeah. And they look mad. Um, but then the actual confrontation between Snow White and Ravina mm. is just... It's terrible. It just, it yeah. just, just is. It just happens. Yeah. But there are and many. It's like what the big. The, One minute she's all powerful, and then she just mm. goes down. And it's like what? Because we're talking about we're talking about plot at the moment. Um, 
the the really big issue in the plot is that there is no build up to climax and confrontation. Yeah. There's a moment where um, Chris Hemsworth, the Huntsman, faces off against Ravina's brother, and you learn that Ravina's brother is it Ravina or Lavina? Ravina. Ravina. Mm. Ravina. Um, Ravina's brother is in some ways responsible. For Chris Hemsworth's death? For Chris wife's death? For Chris Hemsworth's wife's death. Yeah. And it should be a momentous scene, and there should have been build-up to their confrontation, not when it happens, yeah. but towards the end, yeah. so that you get some, you know, get some emotional yeah. resonance. Yeah. Mm. Well, so it's, that, not, it's not the first time they've met. It's not the first... So there should have been some more establishing dialogue yeah. you know, in the, the preceding they, scenes. They yeah. should... They, and... Um, but Ravina's Ravina's brother dies where, she, where he does, and she feels his death, because there is um, a magical link... Yeah, between the two, yet there is nothing at the end. Yeah, you killed my brother. You killed my brother. There should yeah. have been this, and, and that would have given that would have actually given somewhat another more personal reason to fight as well, because Chris Hemsworth is in danger. Yeah, and that's my big. Pro- that's really my big problem with this. The, this story is that the characters actually aren't allowed to drive the plot. Yeah, not, they're just sort of stuck there. Mm. Snow White should be, if we're going to accept that Snow White at the end is this Joan of Arc character capable of leading the kingdom out of the darkness and heal the land Fisher King style mm. then we need to see more of her doing stuff in the early on and she doesn't yeah. um, and more, just, more to establish that she is actually a leader that can unite people behind her mm. and, and more of her powers it's established that she can heal that she's healing their gout and whatnot. but mm. then the then the dwarf gets sh- uh, shot with an arrow and, mm. and she comforts him and whatnot. Yeah. but there's no attempt to heal him why was he not resurrected just before that um, the huntsman gets stabbed and, and there's no I mean, obviously he's healed later on but there's nothing saying that that stab wound was healed mm. that's a great point to go, back yeah, to, that. to go back to the death scene with the dwarf I can understand why she doesn't re- resurrect it because then she becomes all powerful. But there should have been a moment where everyone else goes, well, "Hang on, if she's healing us, why can't she bring him back?" Yeah, it should yeah. have been um, mentioned. It should have been. It should be mentioned, and then you would have gone. Well, well why what? didn't she heal him before he died? Yeah, it or maybe it was beyond her abilities, mm. but at least an attempt would have been. Good. Yeah, well, but well, show that mm-hmm. exactly. It, it brings up for me what I consider the fundamental flaw in this film. Um, there are some ideas here, mm. but. Almost none of those ideas are explored in any way. So Snow White as a healer with this connection to nature isn't really explored in any great detail. Um, there is a rather interesting moment early on with um, with the Queen that suggests that the whole magic mirror part of the story is actually just a psychological problem she has. Oh. But yeah. that's never really explored in any great detail either um i forgot about that that was actually interesting yeah and that's the thing there are some interesting ideas here but none of them really come to fruition in any way like they're they're not explored they're just kind of put there and then pretty much forgotten about almost instantly we did have four writers and you can tell that it has four writers you can tell it's it's all over the place that's it's all over the place it's badly plotted a lot of the um the the flaws could be aimed at the directing and i know Richo's going to talk a lot about how badly directed and cut this film is. Oh, it's shockingly. But uh, on a fundamental level, you can't just blame the director. Um, you've got to take it back to the script. And as I said before, the the way that this is plotted, the way it's structured, the way that the characters are developed are essentially non-existent. The actors are left to fend for themselves. Chris Hemsworth does a good job, yeah. but he's got screen presence and charisma, uh, screen presence and charisma. You can definitely blame the director. And that's what I'm saying. It's his, it's his first job, and you can tell. I'm not, you know, heaping scorn on the man, but I mean, it's it's a bit. But if he'd had some help from the scriptwriters, mm. 
you wouldn't have been in this yeah. much trouble. But even even a good script, like in had this film had a great script, mm. it wouldn't have overcome the inadequacies of the way the film is directed. No. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, there are some there are some pretty shots in the film, mm. yeah. but there's no sense of flow from from shot to shot. Like you'll have a very pretty shot mm. and another pretty shot, but they don't really they don't tie to connect to one another, and then they don't connect to the next shot, and so on. It's almost like two different people directed yeah. the same scene, and then the editor tried to put it together, but with without it really gelling in mm. any way. Um, there's some very, I think, clumsy handheld work done here as well. Yeah, particularly um, the fight scenes. And really, really, this film would have benefited, I think, from somebody with a better understanding of how to direct epic stories. Mm. So um, somebody like a Peter Jackson who can get a really nice, you know, flowing camera movements and give you that epic sense just from the way the film is. There is a lot of Lord of the Rings influences in it. Mm. Yeah, but they're very clumsily handled. It's very Mm. amateurishly handled, I think. Um, The the other three people in this room all have a media background, and I don't. So um, coming from a person without a media background, I'm I'm not going to be as harsh on the directing as everyone else. I, I thought it flowed a bit better than what these guys did, but then I'm not... Yeah, the flaws aren't jumping out at me like they are for you guys. Mm. Having ha, having said that, it's it's still needed a lot of work. I thought. Yeah. But yeah. but you've yeah. got a you've got an art background from from, I a, do. from, from aesthetic perspective. From an, my... actually from an aesthetic perspective, I thought it was quite good. Certainly, the the production design mm. deserves a bit of credit. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean it, it's uh, the costumes, the makeup, the design of uh, the troll. There's actually a really nice scene involving a troll. Mm. Which I which I quite appreciated, but um, mm. yeah, certainly from that perspective, it's a very beautiful looking film. I mean, the mm-hmm. production design team have really gone out of their way to give this movie a very distinct feel, and um, so the fairies look good. Yeah, and, and to add certain sort of gothic elements mm. to it as well. Um, and yeah, they deserve praise. It's just unfortunate that their work wasn't matched by a, a better script and better directing. I think mm. um, because because th- that was the one element of the film that really did look. Excellent. I just want to say what because the other thing we haven't talked about the directing is just how bland it is too. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing particularly exciting about. It's very by the numbers kind mm. of directing. Um, which, which I think is the key fault with the directing. Mm. It's like it, at, at its basic level, mm. it is bland. You know, the shots aren't particularly inspiring. The, he doesn't get um, the moments. Mm. And all I sat there doing um, was thinking, this guy's all this guy's done is watched Lord of the Rings and Princess Mononoke. But without without the actual skill to pull those kind yeah. of, that kind of storytelling off. Having it's said like, that, it was still far better than Mirror Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, it, it, and it's far better than some of the stuff. It's far better than Men in Black Three. <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't hate the, hate this anywhere near as much as I hated Men in Black Three. The very last scene, I was, it was I found quite disappointing. It, oh, no. What? What? The, but um, clearly, sequel. It's got a sequel coming. So. Uh, yeah, it's another, yet another setup for the sequel. <laughs> But it's clumsily done too, because it's very clumsy. No, yeah. if we're setting up for a sequel, fire me up, get me, yeah, get me get, excited, get me excited. And if if that's the setup for the sequel, it's like, well, great. I don't need to actually go and see it because yeah. <laughs> you've not given me any impetus in this film or at in this ending at all yeah. to follow the the further well, adventures of, Ms., of Queen White and. Her hairy offside friend. What, what exactly? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Which offside is she going to get? I mean, that is the setup for the sequel. It's like so oh, she's clearly going to for a Chris. love triangle. So you got William, or you know, the so does so does she want the you know, charismatic but you know, slightly rugged looking guy 
Or the total boring wet blanket guy. Although his archery skills are pretty awesome. No, no, yeah, she, maybe but, she really likes archery. But there's a, a character. <laughs> he's really not much. There's clearly a moment in the end where she searches for the huntsman. She wants. She that's that's happening. Mm. But yeah, that's. And I've just got to. Anyway. Maybe this will segue into the acting a bit. But I've just got to say. What is with that look that she gives at the end of the film? It's like I'm I'm trying to read exactly what emotion it is. Are you serious? Can you read any look Kristen Stewart does? Oh, she's not that. It's it's the Nev Campbell school of acting. Look, she doesn't. for, For me, she doesn't. She doesn't do a bad job in this film for the most part. I mean, she's not really given much to work with anyway. You know, her job is to kind of just stand around and you know look all gothic-y, emo-y type, and, and that's about it, really. And, and she does that fine. But it's just, at the end there, she's given this this opportunity to give some kind of look to Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> and for the life of me, I can't figure out what emotion it is that she was... Like, it was like she was struggling to work out what the emotion was that she was trying to get that, that also comes down to directing as well. It does. The director, it does. director should have... The, Rupert Sanders should have been giving her something... Yeah. Um, to make that moment easier for her to yeah. talk, Talking about emotion, though, what about uh, Charlize Theron in uh, Overacting 101? I thought it was fantastic. Serious? Absolutely. <laughs> I think you're going to say it that. Gave some, it gave some life to the film. You've got to be over too much life. If you're the evil stepmother, you've got to be a little bit over the top. Exactly right. In a fairy tale villain, that kind of over the top acting, I, I think actually works pretty well. And I don't think it was quite as bad as a lot of people have been suggesting. But it doesn't match the rest of the film, though. So the actual performance itself, in my opinion, is is okay, as long as you have a film to back it up. I mean, that is yeah. the sort of the sort of acting you would expect to get in, but the in problem... uh, Your Highness or something. But the problem there... she's in. The problem there is that she's the only character in the film who's really given a chance to get her personality across. I mean... That's true. That she has all the best lines in the film. Mm. She has pretty much all the best... Almost all the best scenes in the film. Yep. And it's like, she's the only character that they've really actually written and fleshed out a bit. Mm. Um, Chris Hemsworth does the absolute best he can to try and get something into his character, but there's really not much there from the script. Yeah. Mm. And it's, you know, a, a credit to him and to his, you know, acting ability and to his charisma that he actually does come across as convincing. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, some of the best actors out there playing the dwarves, dwarves, and you do almost nothing with them. Nothing. You know? Almost nothing. Nothing. Yeah, almost. Uh, get, they you do get, have some, a you get some pseudo religious you know, comments from Bob Hoskins, kind mm. uh, uh, character, and then you get the, uh, the the cool bit later on in the castle, yeah. and that's it. Mm. Yeah, that's all you get. Yeah, yeah the you, very they, very badly underutilized use of guys like uh, Ian Ray Winstone and yeah. Ian McShane, who are yeah really really good actors especially in that kind of role they, I think they could have really shone they should have been the toughest of the tough dwarves <laughs> they, shouldn't be, they shouldn't have been they shouldn't have been hiding and hiding from the queen they should have yeah. been really willing I want them to do like guerrilla tactics yeah that's stuff. what I, that's what I, I, I should have pictured them when I when I heard about the actors as playing the dwarves I pictured them being more like the Warhammer troll yeah. hunter type dwarves yeah. but then once again they're played you know, they're, they're played for comedy yeah which is why Charlize Theron's performance doesn't really mm. bother me because once again it comes back to the script and the directing the film doesn't like know comments. exactly what it's meant to be oh, okay the, the bit where they're all the, leaping the, onto the rope the bit where they're hiding behind the horse the bit where they're um, running through the yeah, sewer I yeah. 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 I mean, maybe, I, maybe I just didn't find it very funny mm. the one where they're running through the sewer and he goes oh that looks like one of mine yeah exactly I mean there, there was an attempt at there was an attempt at humour that obviously fell flat for you Dave but, um, <laughs> totally flat but the, the film clearly and I think this comes back to having four writers mm. the film wasn't really sure of what it was was actually going to be. No, I think I think only one of them did the Queen. 
Yeah, <laughs> and the rest yeah. of them did everything else. Yeah. Um, anyway, okay. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I accept everything you're saying, but I just still, I still think it is quite over the top. It's just a little too over the top. Mm-hmm. Didn't. Okay, all right. Well, let's uh, go with uh, final thoughts and um, ratings. Not the worst film I've seen all year, and I wasn't too bored watching it. Um, there was a lot that could be, a lot more that could have been done from the script end, a lot more could have been done from the directing end. Um, a criminal waste of some fine acting talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I was making, writing, directing the film, I'd be doing a lot more with the dwarves as characters anyway. Chris Hemsworth does an okay job. Charlie Theron does an okay job. Kristen Stewart is miscast. Yes, she's got an underwritten part. But if you're going to cast someone as Snow White, the fairest in the land, you need to give them, make cast an actor who has some quality. Um, you don't find Christmas Stewart attractive, is that what you think? No, no, no. What I'm saying is that the, is that to be f- considered the fairest in the land, there's got to be some ethereal quality, some X factor, some otherness. So, so an additional charisma as well. Yeah, an additional, an additional which charisma. Which she has none of. Which she has none of. This is particularly flat. I give this one and a half looks. I can't really disagree too much with what you're saying. Um, I appreciate at least the effort to try and make uh, Snow White into you know, sort of a stronger female character. Um, but unfortunately, the, this production is a little bit too amateurish uh, for my taste. But um, yeah, look, it wasn't the worst film in the world. Um, I'll give it two looks. I found it watchable. I'm not a big fairy tale fan to start with, but I found it rather watchable. I wasn't terribly bored at any point. Um, and like I said earlier, I'm not going to be as harsh on the directing as the rest of you. I found it quite serviceable. One of the problems I had with it, which I've only just sort of realised now, is it, it's not really sure whether it's aimed at children or adults. Like, there's some stuff in there for the kids and stuff in there for adults. Now, well, that works for a lot of films, where you can sort of have it aimed at both, but I think they should have gone one way or the other with this one. If it was more of a kid's film, it might have shone a bit better. Um, with the Twilight crowd thrown in for good measure. Yeah, well, I would... If, you, if I was forced to watch one of the two movies, Twilight or this one, at, at, that on pain of death, I would pick this one. <laughs> on <pain of> <laughs> I don't um, think it'll ever get that far. I, I'm going to give it three. Okay. Um, I can't add anything more, really, to what you guys said. I mean, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I do think um, Charlize does overdo it a bit, but that being said, she is the best character in the show anyway. Mm. So, um, And yeah, the production is... Is uh, woeful. It really needed a better script, um, and but it was it did have a lot of really cool scenes. So yeah, I mean, I was willing to sit through it, basically just waiting for the next cool scene. I mean, like the the sanctuary, the troll, mm. um, the shard monster creature things. The, the little eyes on the, the mushrooms. Um, yeah, there's a lot of production, like the eyes on the mushrooms, and you know the the flowers made of butterflies and stuff. So it had had a lot of cool stuff visually, um, but overall, I was I was kind of bored, and in the end, I was annoyed. So, uh, yeah, so I'll give it uh, two looks. So that's it for Snow White and the Huntsman. Uh, coming up next, a roundtable on some comic reviews. When that's the roundtable, we dance where we're able. We do routine to call the scene to put work in bed cable. We dine well here in Camelot, we eat ham and jam and spam a lot. Okay, so like I said at the start, Dynamite Entertainment has uh, recently released um, some uh, comics based on The Shadow and The Spider, which uh, are pretty interesting. Uh, so we're going to review those. There have been a couple of issues of those out. And uh, then we'll jump into some Before Watchmen. Are they, are they the abominations that people you know thought they were going to be? Let's see. Uh, so we'll start off with uh, young Luke. Take it away. 
Cool. Well, as if you've listened, listened to the um, the pulp special we did last year, won't be surprised to learn that I'm a bit of a pulp fan myself. Um, I came to the pulps um, basically around about the time of the first of the Shadow film with Alec Baldwin, and that's where. And yes, I know that an unfortunate the, introduction there to are the character. Some, but see, I, okay, I I actually don't mind the Shadow film. Having said that, I actually saw it not knowing the entire mythology in the background, and I'm since yeah. being a bit more acquainted. And it would be it would be good enough to inspire you to check out. Yeah. yeah, look, that's and, fair. And, you know, I checked out um, the in the coils of the Leviathan comic book stuff that Dark Horse was doing at the time, and um, I've since you know started to read a lot more of the the pulps, for, uh, especially the Shadow and Doc Savage, which um, Sanctum Press have been publishing. Um, and it's the the research in the pulps recently have led to more some um, of the characters being published as comic books, as we discussed um, last year with Doc Savage um, and the Avenger. The first wave. The first wave stuff. Mm. And now we've come to the character that should have been involved in that and should have been involved with this right from the start, which is the character that everyone wants to read. I'm kind of glad he wasn't, actually, because he would have been crap. It would have been, <laughs> but, at, but at the same time, um, it's, the char- it's, the, yeah. it's the one pop character that everyone knows. Yeah. And it's the one character, really, that everyone would want to read anyway, which is The Shadow. Dark Horse got the rights to the character, uh, both him and Doc Savage, in the mid-90s, and they did in the Coils of Leviathan. Um, they did a Shadow adaptation and uh, an official Doc Savage Shadow crossover, which was the second one. The first one had been done in the 80s with DC in their Doc Savage title and the Shadow Knows title. And that sort of leads us into the first decade of the 21st century, because I refuse to say noughties, and that's led to a bit of a pulp resurgence. There's been a bit of a revival the past couple of years, Certainly with the first wave, as we mentioned by, with Brian Azzarello. Moonstone tried to do their own revival with the re- originals, which was Phantom Detective. They tried to do a Spider. They tried to do the Black Bat. The other sort of beyond, uh, beyond the fringe pop characters, but really the one that everyone has wanted is The Shadow, which Dynamite got the rights to um, to publish um, in June of May of this year. And issues one and two have come out. Issue three has also come out, but I haven't had time to read that yet. So we'll start off with the first two issues. They've also done two issues of The Spider, which we're also going to look at, and I'll talk a bit about those two issues um, afterwards. But let's start off with The Shadow. The Shadow was written by Garth Ennis, uh, who's a fan favourite from writing Preacher, from The Boys, from... Hellblazer. Hellblazer. Um, but I kind of what I'm a big fan of, and why I was excited about him writing, writing the stories, was the Dan Dare miniseries that he did. Hmm. And the world, the um, the battlefield, the World War Two stories that he that he's also published through Dynamite, um, because they show him to be a writer who's not just uh, sort of a gross out. I just do this to uh, I just do this for the fun of it. I'm a Tar- the Tarantino esque nature of some of his stories, um, the battlefields and the Dan Dare stuff show that he's actually quite respectable to source material and to history as well, and that he's quite uh, quite a very he's quite a dramatic writer, but also very strong character-based writer, too. I like the, the, the Tarantino-esque. Well, yeah, that's, that was good. Well, who, would you, who would you call the Michael Bay-esque? Um, Mark Miller? Yeah, probably. David, David Finch. David Finch. David Finch. He did on the head. Now, that, now that he's supposedly a writer. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, not, continue. Uh, okay, so, Garth Ennis is also a bit of a fan of The Shadow. Um, he's actually stated that repeatedly in interviews, and he said that of all the established characters he's wanted to get his hands on, The Shadow is mm. the, um, the last character... It's, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about whether it's actually any good or not in, mm. in a couple of seconds, I'm sure. But, mm. but at least with Garth Ennis, you know he would respect the material. Yeah, that's yeah. What, I mean, Dan Dare proved that. Dan Dare proved that, and the Battlefield stuff proved that he is actually capable of reining himself in 
yeah. for armor for and, the needs yeah, of, of, of the changing, needs of story. Yeah, changing his writing style mm. to suit the nature of mm. the characters that he's writing. Mm. Because he does have a reputation for the sort of preacher, mm. boys style, kind of gross out humour. Mm. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the boys. No, no, no. I've not read the boys. Um, but he, he balanced, in Preacher, he balanced out balanced mm. that humour with some very, very strong character work. Yeah. Whereas the boys just seems to be just that humour yeah. and nothing else. That's exactly right. Mm. And then, of course, he's excellent mm. Hellblazer stuff. Yeah. And he doesn't disappoint here. Mm. I was convinced on page three that I was going to get a phenomenal run. And if you'll excuse me, I will just read a little bit of it. This is the bit that really convinced me. Um, it starts off with... Um, an, an omniscient narrator talking about the, tra the, um, the horrors that the Japanese perpetrated on Chinese. the Chinese when they um, invaded Manchuria and talks about the horrors and goes into, doesn't state it in the artwork but talks about it in the text some explicit detail explicit, the explicit nature of their atrocities um, mm -hmm. does it really well without throwing it in my face and then talks about you know, how Imperial Japan will be a nice uh, make, would make a great partner for Nazi Germany and proceeds to sort of say that he knows all this, he has seen it, and then he goes into this. I know what has been and what must be. I know the greater game. For I know what evil lurks in the hearts of men. And that bit just... Mm. With the build-up, there's a bit more build-up to that, but I didn't, as I said, I didn't want to... Yeah. But the build-up to that bit, and then hitting me with the line that everyone knows to shudder with, done in a nicely subtle way, but introducing the character, sold me. Because it said that there was someone who understands who the character is, understands the history, and gets me in. Um, the story actually involves um, Lamont, uh, the, the Shadow, investigating some of the stuff that's going on in, in, in China. That's um, that led us way back into the mafia and the gangsters in New York. And he's going to China to investigate what exactly is going on and to do what he, to do what he can to stop it. To do what he does best. To do what he does best, which, which is, is kill a lot of people. Which is kill a lot of people, and he does kill a lot of people. Uh, there's no doubt about it. The shadow. It's like five pages in. It's the like shadow. People the dead. shadow is uh, is Gone. Uh, an amazingly violent character, um, given that he is actually meant to be on the side of the angels and on the side of law and order. You know, he's probably Republican at heart, is Lamont Grant. Um, but at the same, but the thing I liked about this was. I felt that there was a deep respect for the character, but at no point did I feel. It was just nostalgic for the sake of nostalgic. He actually does try to push the story forward. But he's also trying to do something, uh, trying to add a new spoke to it as well. He's doing what a lot of modern writers do with the Shadow, which is um, marry the pulp Shadow, which was just a, guy, just a masked guy with guns who was exceedingly intelligent with a network, with the radio Shadow, which had the power, um, which gave him the power, to, the ability to cloud men's minds. And he's marrying... Oh, okay. I, I, did, I actually did want to ask that because you were like the, the shadow expert. Mm. Uh, and so he does actually have an ability. So when he was when he's talking to the girl on the, on the patio, yeah, Margot. Uh, that's uh, yeah. So that's he's so he's not. That's not just clever wordplay. He does actually have yeah, which was which is what the radio like precogs. Yeah, idea. well, well, actually, well, um, well, that, almost, that's, almost that's, a form of hypnosis more well, than anything else. That's actually uh, something that I want to talk about because that's talking about how he can see the future though. Because uh -huh. uh, in the radio show, it was just he's got the ability to make himself invisible. Well, in, I read the first, just to get into this, I read the first actual pulp story, mm. and that he comes across in that as actually having sort of vaguely supernatural abilities. Yeah. But they're not actually defined in the pulps, and it doesn't it, it doesn't really come to the front until the success of the radio show. Yeah, well, at one point he 
and he disguises himself as a short squat Chinaman. And mm. so he's either got supernatural abilities or that's poor writing. <laughs> well, it's pulp writing, which means yeah. that it was most likely quickly to yeah. about. What, what, whatever, so, whatever service the, the story, yeah, whatever service could the do, story really. is the, the thing. Um, but the precog thing is actually the thing that I want to talk about okay, because cool. that's the new thing that Mark ah, that right, Anderson okay. brought. Right. He's gone with. I thought it was kind of new. I was like, I, yeah, liked, I, I, like, I like the ambiguity of it. Though, yeah, because yeah. it's like, can he act? He doesn't really state that that the shadow just has the ability to see the future. Mm. It could just be that. You know, as per that sort of opening sequence that uh, you were referring to earlier, that he's just got unbelievably good foresight and that his understanding of human nature mm, yeah. enables him to envision where the future is going. I so sort of, I, I, sort I like the ambiguity of I that. Sort of, sort of, I saw it sort of a cross between the Sherlock Holmes movie thing, yeah. where he's like predicting all the moves combined with what Iron Man constantly claims in every issue nowadays where he's a futurist and he can, that sort of, he can, understand, he can understand where the world where is the world's going to go yeah. sort of, sort of a co- an yeah. amalgamation is that of yeah that yeah it's the, the the understanding of human nature combined with the understanding of politics mm. and society yeah. Yeah. and culture um but that's the new thing that he's brought to it yeah in terms of yeah, now, that, now that now the, the shadow actually does know yeah and is yeah. it's changing is manipulating the game to either um lead the plot in that direction or trying to thwart it, more, yeah. more than more often than not trying to thwart it. Um, so he's actually now really manipulating world events instead of just the local crime sort of deal. I think sort of. You know, there's a there's a there's a sort of hint that he's going to become involved to a larger extent in the goings on of World War Two, yeah. which is which is fun because there are a lot of World War Two stories where he's actually a spy working yeah. for um, yeah. the FBI and the OSS um, that Walter Gibson wrote actually back in the day. Um, what we haven't what we haven't seen yet are the uh, the wider network. You know, yeah. your Mo Shrevnitzers, your Clyde Burks, your Harry Vincents. But they do get referenced in the first story when he's talking to Margot on the balcony. Yeah. Um, which I think is a fabulous scene. It not just sets up Lamont Cranston being a total bastard, <laughs> and I like the fact that he cap- I like the way he captures the action. Um, both he and Aaron Campbell do a fantastic job of not only making um, the the shadow of violent character, but they make they do it in such a way that it is it is shocking. But at the same time, I don't believe that he's a superhuman. Hmm. You know, he they do give him some quite nasty pieces of work to fight against. And Margot was put in considerable danger, and the shadow have to do his his best to save her. Um, Aaron, Cam- Aaron Campbell does a fabulous job as the artist. He did an okay job on Sherlock Holmes too, and I think he's surpassing himself here. I would have liked to have seen someone like Francesco Francavia do the artwork but having said that no problem with Aaron Campbell one of the things that I actually quite liked about this book is there's a very nice balance between the Shadow and Lamont Cranston Um, with a lot of the Shadow adaptations in the past the focus might be on one or the other Um, so you might get a lot of the mysterious Shadow but not really a greater understanding of his role as Lamont Cranston Um, here I think the balance is spot on Um, you know both serve a specific role to the story and that role is given equal time so you get a real sense of Lamont Cranston as a person but also as the shadow as a, the role that he plays when you know it's time to get violent mm. um, and, I, and I like that it's um it actually reminded me a bit of um, what Scott Snyder has done recently with uh, Batman, Batman. Mm. Yep. where he's actually given equal time 
to Bruce Wayne. So, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 Batman's I'm, actually a detective again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad that Lamont Cranston is being used here and being used really effectively. Mm. So it's not just a story about the shadow going around killing people. Yeah, um, I found the story vaguely interesting. I think it, it would have been better had he been a, had I been a fan of the shadow to start with. It would have been cool and nostalgic then. Um, from a historical point of view, it was it was interesting in the use of certain uh, words that we would now consider racist. <laughs> um, but reading the comics, I don't know. I just I, I couldn't get into them. I, I, words were going into my eyes, but not making it into my brain. I, I, I just I just the the artwork was lovely. That's probably the best I can say for them. Sorry, I just I, love I, that description. By the way, I just love that description. The words were going into my eyes, but not making it to my brain. Um, <laughs> it's a great I, I, I just, I just don't think the shadows for me is. It's not the comic that's going to make me into a comic reader. Sorry, that's guys. Yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, in a similar sort of vein. I'm, I'm not uh, the huge pulp fan that uh, young Luke obviously is. Mm. His uh, encyclopedic knowledge. Yeah, but I do, I do enjoy the shadow as a character. And yeah, the Alec Baldwin film was I, I, like a lot of people that the film was a. Uh, my introduction to the character, yep. even though he existed before that, mm. um, and then of course, then use that to then go and you know check out the comics and mm. all that sort mm. of stuff, and then you know the awesome how check and run and, and yep. all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I mean, so I, I don't, I'm not totally disinterested. Um, and the comics were were totally fine. Like I could, I could, I could see the respect for the character, mm. um, and uh, I liked the little nods and yeah. the, the Margot Lane and of course the, the World Newton stuff. So uh, I am a huge fan of the World Newton stuff. Mm. So that sort of you know, yeah, and we'll do a, we'll do an episode on the World Newton. Um, yeah, so I, I, I found them enjoyable. It hasn't convinced me to start to, to put it on my, on my pull list. No, that's fair enough. What, what I'm actually more excited about is the fact that you're excited. Yeah. So I'm, just, I'm just glad that it wasn't part of the terrible first wave. First wave, no. Um, and you actually, it's... I mean, so you're excited. For yeah. It. This yeah. Is, so it, that's, must, that's cool. it, it must say something about the, the book's appeal to Shadow fans, though, because like Luke, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the Pulps and... Mm. Um, I'm apparently the only person here that has actually that actually read the pulps and knew the character before the film came out. Oh, I'd heard um, of it, but never I, paid any attention. Yeah. And I was—I I read a lot of the twelve at the time. Yeah, okay, good point. <laughs> no, I, I read a lot of the paperbacks that were available in the library, and I'd heard about the character, and oh, cool. he sounded kind of cool. So they're um, available in the school library. No, they're available in uh, uh, Ivanhoe Library. Because in the school library, all you had was uh, Sweet Belly High. Yeah. And Doctor Who novelizations. Yeah. <laughs> Which was fine. I read all those. And <laughs> no, the Sweet Belly Especially the Sweet Belly. <laughs> I managed to read about, uh, I managed to read about, I think, four collections of Shadow Stories oh, as a okay. kid. And, uh, yeah, so obviously, you know, it, it's really appealing to Luke and I as Shadow fans. Mm. So clearly the, the, there's something in the book that mm. is, you know, designed really for the hardcore fan. Yeah. Perhaps a bit more than the casual fan. Um, but it has been a bit of a success. Before yeah. it even hit the shelves, issue one sold out. Went to a second printing. Nice. Before it even hit comic shops. Mm. Um, I give this... It, it's, it's finding its feet. Um, and I'll be able to give it a more full opinion when six issues or so come out. But so far, from what I enjoy, I'm enjoying it, I give this four looks. Cool. So the other one that um, Dynamite has brought out is The Spider on the back of The Success of the Shadow. The Spider is not anywhere near as well known. Um... For those of you who don't know who the spider don't know who the spider is as opposed to Spider Man, um, the spider is greatest character ever. What, the spider, spider is no Spider Man. Um, <laughs> the, the spider is another shadow type. Is effectively a shadow clone, but published after um, the, the roaring success of the Shadow in 1931. There's a, there's a lot of that going on. Clones mm. of other yeah, characters. clones of other characters. Doctor um, But the spider is probably 
um, amongst pulp fans, probably the more well-known of the second-tier um, pulp heroes. He is another rich. He is another rich criminologist called Richard Wentworth. Um, also dresses up in trench coat, fedora hat, business suit, sports a set of um, sports a set of uh, forty-five calibers. I have to say, their their superhero costumes are much cooler. Um, yeah, <laughs> spy, the spiders, the spiders, is, the spy, In this case, the spiders is the spider. The original spider was just a generic domino mask. Yeah. Um, but I'll talk a bit about that as we talk about the comic. Um, Does he have any spider motifs or any of that sort of thing? He, his famous thing was he had a, a silken cord that he used to dangle down off, and he used to leave a spider uh, symbol on the criminal's foreheads when, um, like the Phantom, yeah, a bit like the Phantom, yes. Oh, um, and um, he was nuts. Mm. <laughs> like whereas the shadow was was violent and you know killed the the spider almost takes glee in the amount of violence that he but, inflicts upon people. Like but, he's a far more hardcore version of, uh, mm. <laughs> of um, the, the shadow. The run the the run of the spider that a lot of people really the mo- the only famous run of the spider is the one done by Novel Page and that's the one that's been sort of influenced. It's influenced Batman the animated series and things like that because of its sense of doom. You know mm. the con- the city was constantly in danger. The only person who was able to stand against the um, the evil scientific geniuses that were trying to bring it down was the nuttiest, most insane, most insane character in the entire city, um, which is Richard Wentworth, who's um, too too fried short of a happy meal, effectively. <laughs> yeah, he's, um, he's. It's the thing that makes the spider stand out really yeah. from the shadow is that he is just a nutbag. Mm. And the the current series um, illustrated by written by David Liss and. Illustrated by Col- um, Colton Worley, um, start uh, start to build up on that. Richard Wentworth is not the complete nutbag that he becomes in the pulps, but he is certainly not the most sanest of, sanest of men. He's also he also works as a criminologist, criminologist attached to the New York Police Department. He also has this other persona of the spider that he uses to save humankind, what have you. There isn't a lot that's different between the two characters, so I'll go straight into the series here. This is set in a more sort of diesel punkish modern day. It's got Zeppelins and sort of more Art Deco feel, but at the same time, people are, um, you know, using mobile phones. They dress um, in more modern uh, more modern clothes to give it sort of more otherworldly feel to differentiate it from the shadow. Uh, David, uh, David Lister's writing captures the feel, and he makes reference to some of the cases, some of the cases that the shadow covered in, not the shadow, sorry. As I said, all this is sort of, it's all blends. the same. It's all the same. It all <laughs> blends in. Some of the villains that the spider fought in the um, the spider pulps. Yeah. So the spider in this one has a bit of a history. Um, he's also a wanted man and a chase man. And peop- there are certain people who think that Richard Wentworth is the spider, but they can't prove it yet. Um, it involves the the plot basically involves the spider um, reluctantly getting involved in one of the police cases, but the police slowly realise that it involves zombies in The Walking Dead and they might be a bit out of their depth and which, which means that Richard Wentworth is the best person because he deals in all this weird stuff anyway. Um, you get, for the people who have read The Spider, who are fans of The Spider, you do get um, old favourites like Nita Van Sloan, which who's the spider's love interest, but here she's married to Stanley Kirkpatrick, um, the commissioner in The Spider's World. And you also get um, The Spider's call-off cider, the Hindu Ram Singh, who in this case is not just a manservant, um, but also a lawyer in his own right, and but works with Richard Wentworth and the Spider because they both believe in the same goals. The re- the selling point really is Colton Wall- Wally's artwork. 
there is a nice sort of ethereal quality to it at the same time it is really dark and bleak but still with a hint of imagination um it's not as good as the shadow it's the spider's never as been as interesting a character um i give this three looks cool i actually uh it's interesting you say it's not as good as the shadow i actually had more fun reading the spider mm-hmm. than i did the shadow right i mean like the shadow has the nostalgia sort of thing mm. i knew nothing about the spider and, other than the fact that he yeah. existed so is that is that what is that partly because of it because you didn't know about the spider you didn't have any expectations no not really no no it's more it's just i just i mean the whole zombie walking dead mm. thing obviously a big thing for me it's got yeah. zombies in it he's yeah. gonna like it and so i, I, I quite liked it and just yeah. the fact that he's just just clearly nutty yes i mean he's just yeah. completely insane and well, the, the shadow, uh, I, I quite enjoyed that the, the shadow no mercy well the shadow attempts to um you know to firmly place itself in mm. Effectively in the real world, hmm. you know, it's dealing with things like you know the the Japanese invasion of China. It, it establishes itself very firmly in a certain time period. Hmm. Um, I think they're having a lot more fun with the world of the spider. Yeah, they put the undead element into it. They've you know tried to sort of create a a modernish diesel punkish type world. So hmm. um, I, I do appreciate the fact that they're trying to distinguish the book and the character from mm. the shadow. Yeah. They're trying to make it its own entity so that it doesn't just come across as another version of the shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I do appreciate that. Um, mm. The character work I don't think is as strong. No. But like you said, I do love the fact that he's completely nuts. Like yeah. there's just something about that that appeals You're to right, me. You're right, the character is not as strong but does it really need to be? I mean, the shadows are more complex doing, character. Well, they're doing they're doing a lot more world building mm. in the spider, so a lot of the the, the time is taken up in actually world building, mm. whereas the shadow doesn't need that because mm. it's effectively set in the real world. Mm. Um, um, and plus, the spider you don't really need to know right now. Yeah, which history is back well, here's back in. Yeah, um, I'm not as <laughs> enthralled in the spider as a character as I am in the shadow. Yeah, I'm more enthralled in the world of the spider. Yeah, cool. well, I'm not really enthralled with either of them, but. I've I enjoy Spider-Man. Um, sure. One thing I want to add quickly is that I like actually like what they've done with the Spider's costume. Yeah. They've actually they got Alex Ross to be respectful to the 30s um, quality of the costume, but at the same time, they've given him a new mask and a new cape with um, uh, red webbing. Yeah. Um, so there's a there's a sort of a slight uh, homage to Spider-Man, but not so um, not so obvious as to make you think he's, he's just trying to draw Spider-Man in the 30s type way. Yeah. And I also love, I, they do try to capture the, um, not just the sense of doom, but the strangeness of hmm. his foes. So, because uh, there's also an Egyptian um, element to the second issue as well with the with the, um, the introduction of the villain. Um, that's, so that's why I was asked the costume question before, because mm. like, yeah, now he's got the... Yeah. It it is different, and I and I think this is actually a very good. It's a very good costume, and should be the spider's costume in any incarnation from now on. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a very strong visual look, and once again, it does distinguish him from the shadow. Mm. All right, cool. Thanks for that, uh, Luke. Uh, Revisited the pulps. Cool. All right, well, let's move on to uh, before Watchmen. Um, The controversial before Watchmen. Controversial before Watchmen. Did it need to exist? No. No. (laughs) <laughs> is it a travesty that it does exist? No. Eh, well, let's see how it goes. Um, so, so, uh, so far, there's been three issues out. Uh, all, all the issue ones, obviously. Uh, we've got uh, the first one was Minutemen. Uh, second one was Silk Spectre. Uh, third was Comedian. Uh, and the others will come out um, in whatever order they come out. I have no idea, but you'll get uh, uh, Doctor Manhattan, Night uh, Owl, 
Night Owl, Ozymandias. Raw, Raw, all the other characters. Uh, Raw Shark, yeah. So yeah. basically the others. <laughs> coming on out. Um, cool. So we'll start off with uh, the first. We'll, we'll do it in order that they came out. So Minutemen. Okay, so uh, Minutemen is Darwin Cook's little baby. Uh, he uh, writes and pencils. And um, yeah, Darwin Cook. There's not really much that needs to be said. I mean, the man's awesome. Mm. Uh, he's, it's, so you know it's going to look beautiful, and, and it uh, does. And yeah, it does. I mean, it is it's magnificent stuff to look at. Um, in terms of the actual story, though, I mean, I guess we're gonna we're gonna like repeat ourselves a couple of times here, but really, the whole before Watchmen project doesn't need to exist, and in my opinion, shouldn't exist. I mean, that's that's obviously different opinions from the rest of the crew, but and and that's and that's basically the problem that we have with this this uh, this comic is. Yeah, it's. I mean, well, none of it is. I mean, it's not offensive. It's 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 not terrible, but it just it goes through a whole bunch of stuff that, I mean, you just didn't really need to know. And it, I mean, everything that you needed to know was summed up in the original Watchmen story to begin with. Um, with that with that being said, though, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was okay. I mean, it was it, you know, it, it passed the time. It it uh, offered a few little extra extra bits, you know, that were you know it was cool to know. I mean. Um, and just looked so beautiful doing it mm. that I was willing to you know, pass over its flaws. And it does have some. Um, I, I do, uh, Richard does have a point to make, so I'll pass it over to him. But, uh, I mean, it's just, it's overall, I, you know, it was, it was good. Oh, we'll just, it was, it was good. I mean, it wasn't bad, it, was, it wasn't terrible, it wasn't awesome, no, but it was It, it was wasn't good. good. <laughs> My problem with this is a problem that I have with really most prequels. There's absolutely nothing here that I, I need to know. Mm. Watchmen told me everything I need to know about the characters, and this is just kind of telling me the same thing again, mm-hmm. but you know, in a nicely drawn way. Yeah. Um. So they're not, and look, this is a I think a problem that I have with all three issues. There's nothing here that's bad. They're competently written. They're, they're I think they're all very well drawn, but I'm just not really very interested mm-hmm. you know I've, I've read them and it's just like well you're not telling me anything that I don't already know no there isn't much in the, in the first issue of Minutemen there is, actually isn't much in the way of story there are some nice little sequences um, I like the bit with the comedian in the bar mm-hmm. um, that moment where he's all cocky and arrogant then the barman after having beaten up a whole bunch of people in the bar and the barman asks what's wrong, what's wrong with him and you got two nice little panels of the comedian in silhouette um, stating, yeah, I've got problems and my therapist has been telling me about them before beating up the barman himself. Uh, just nice, nicely illustrated. Gives you a nice insight of the character. I also like the moment where, at the end of the first issue, where you see um, Gardner Nelson um, sitting, in, sitting in the bath, mirror tray in front of him, um, acting all pampered. That, that was a ni- it was a nice little thing about his character. But the big the big problem here is that there is no actual story progression. It doesn't actually start off by telling me. It doesn't start off by getting me into the action. Hmm. I just sort of feel like I've been given snippets, interesting snippets, um, of um, each member of the Minutemen, but with nothing to actually carry the story through. It yeah. does. It just does feel like let's all do six issues. Just so it just to get to Watchmen issue one. It's it's like um, a fancy version of the Marvel handbook. Yeah, <laughs> with the yeah. with the with the profiles. 
but uh, it, it's uh, give me give me a case that they all worked on. Yeah, um, yeah. A, a story. I assume you'll get that in two. A story to go with some of the character moments. Would yeah. Be nice. uh, I little to no interest in any of these. I really don't care whether they exist or not. Mm. Uh, this first issue, I found it just had too much in it mm. for for one issue, and um, well, I've seen the Watchmen movie, mm. so I sort of know enough to mm. kind of know what's going on, but it just, just was not a, not enough in there to mm. to keep me interested at all. Um, so you've not read um, Watchmen the comic book series, and, and, and so this because if you have, I've actually got a question to follow up on that. No, I haven't. Uh, but <laughs> it's it's a comic book series. Yeah, yeah but um, <laughs> so would you, if you've not read that, would you read it? So you would you would would you read it based on what you've read in this so far? Is it is it good mm. enough to well make you, you know, go I, and pick I, I, up? I've sort of in a recent uh, uh, in um, previous podcasts. Often, if I see a movie, it will inspire me to go on and read the books mm. i saw the watchman movie it did not inspire me to go on and read the, the comics mm. so that that comics certainly not going to inspire yeah. me to even buy issue two let alone go and buy the watchman series yeah. Yeah. not no. that i would have to buy the watchman series the watchman uh, movie has its flaws but its opening sequence mm. is magnificent mm. and is pretty much that anyway, yeah, <laughs> I, I found the Watchmen <laughs> the movie the, itself enjoyable, but you know it's not gonna I not good know. enough to and yeah because I think and, that's actually an interesting yeah. point to make about the um these prequels. There's just too much going on in that mm. first issue. Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, uh, Minutemen number one, I'll give it uh, two point five. I give it one. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to uh, the second issue that came out, which was Silk Spectre, uh, which is written by Darwin Cook. Um, and and also co-plot is it co-plotted Amanda Connor? Yeah, I think like, it is actually. I think it is. Yeah, and uh, penciled by Amanda Connor. Mm. Um, I had a lot more fun with this one. This is uh, so basically so obviously it deals with Silk Spectre and uh, her daughter, mm. who then eventually goes on to become uh, Silk Spectre herself. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's really cute. It's I mean it's got uh, the excellent for Amanda Connor that we all know and love. Uh, artwork and um, the, the the cool little uh, comedic panels that look like they're out of a like a, out of a cartoon, which I thought were very very cool. Um, and uh, it has a bit more of a story uh, that Minuteman one Minuteman one has. Um, whether it's an interesting story or not, it's it's got a bit more, it's got a bit more drama. Yeah, because yeah. there's more co- because there is a, a a relationship in crisis with being um, it being Laurie and. Um, Sally and yeah by focusing on one character too it also mm. gives it more focus mm. I agree with all that but having said that it's, there's nothing in the story that I haven't heard or seen before yeah, yeah. And that's, oh that's, yeah it's, it's not very yeah, original and, and, and once again through, it's you know, kind of predictable fear of repeating ourselves mm. we just it's information we don't need to know yeah it's a very much a rinse and repeat here for me as yeah. well um, but it does help flesh Laurie out a bit and um, well, you get most of that in the movie mm. and well, in the comic yeah I don't know uh, I, I agree with I, the artwork. I would say though, that still. she is the character that um, she is the character for me in in the Watchmen comic that probably did need a little bit more fleshing out. Hmm. So in that respect, yeah, you know, I, I don't I agree. really mind this. But once again, I'm not really learning <laughs> anything. Cool. So yeah, so it is. But like I said, it's really really pretty, and I enjoyed it a lot more. So um, I'll give that uh, three weeks. 
Okay, so moving on to the last one that came out, which was Comedian. Um, this one was uh, anticipated by quite a few of the the online community, the ones that actually wanted the, this project to go ahead, <laughs> not the other uh, the other ones. Um, it's uh, well, he's I mean, he's obviously, obviously other than Rorschach, he's one of the most popular uh, characters from the story. It's written by Brian Azzarello, uh, with artwork by J. G. Jones, and uh, yeah, once again, I mean, it's. Uh, it's like Rich I said before. I mean, it, just, it looks good. I mean, the artwork is, is mm. good, but um, I, I think I've said it before, and if I haven't, I'll say it now. I just I'm just not a Brian Azzarello fan. I mean, yeah. it's I think uh, 100 Bullets starts off quite well and then gets very boring very quickly, um, and I just haven't been interested in any of his other sort of stuff. Um, I mean, we slam first wave. Yep, <laughs> all the time. It, it's just, he did do a very cool uh, Doctor Thirteen. Story, which was quite entertaining. Oh, well, there you go. A light at the end of the tunnel. But, but that was a backup in the Spectre series. <laughs> yeah, true. But it was still, uh, I think, the highlight of the book, actually. So um, once, once again, it's just information we just don't really need to know. But I guess I guess it kind of fleshes out the fact that uh, the comedian in the original series and in the film, obviously, he's he's done a lot in his career. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he's been in all the, sort of the shadowy areas of the mm. world and history and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's good for the conspiracy theorist type people. Um, so, yeah, I guess in that case it's kind of interesting. I mean, it does have a pretty interesting thing uh, to deal with uh, Marilyn Monroe. Although in this, um, I always thought by judging from, it may just be from the film, but I always thought the comedian killed JFK. I always got that impression. JFK killed JFK if you watch Red Dwarf. That's right, which is the, <laughs> which is the, the most interesting one. But I just, I, I, but there might be, I'm sure there's a scene in the film where he it's shoots in, JFK. It's in, it's in the credits, I think. In the, yeah, it's in, in the, the opening sequence, yeah. 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 yeah, So, anyway, but obviously the comic doesn't, uh, doesn't agree with that. Um, yeah, so the, the bit with um, uh, Jackie O and Marilyn, mm. the, that little bit there was pretty cool, but um, it's basically just a whole bunch of sequences. Sort yeah. of put together without any real sort of storyline. It doesn't yeah. flow, does it? Doesn't, it at all. I, I'm with you. It doesn't okay. flow really at all. And it's one of Brian Azzarello's typical overwritten efforts. He, he's a very verbose writer, mm. and he doesn't rein himself in as much as he should. This yeah. comic actually annoyed me. Yeah, it did. <laughs> I actually have a very different problem with this one. Um, for me, the interesting thing in the, you know, for the comedian in Watchmen is not him but everybody else's perceptions sure. of him. Like, you you really don't learn anything about the comedian that doesn't get told to you by someone else. That's a good mm. point, yeah. Right? So, and, and everybody's perception of the comedian is actually a little bit different. Mm. And, you know, their perceptions of the comedian then reflect upon themselves as characters as well. And I think that's the strength of the comedian in uh, the Watchmen series. So, good actually point. having a series where they're just telling me who he is... I actually think defeats the purpose of the character as presented in the first story. You are totally mm. on the money there. Yep. Um, yeah, I think because I mean, that's, that's the scene at the end of the com- at the end of issue one, I, I, just, mm. I was like, well, 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 I don't want to. I don't want to see this scene. Mm. This, yeah. this scene shouldn't exist. Yeah, mm. yeah. The comedian reflects back on the other characters and tells us something about them as characters. Yeah. Um, I think the absolute amazing scene with. Um, Dr. Manhattan and the comedian in um, at the end of the Vietnam War, mm. I think is a classic example of that. It's yep. telling you a bit about the comedian, but by reflection, it's telling you a lot about Dr. Manhattan. Yep. And I just think that this series just kind of removes that interesting element from the character. 
don't know if it's just me, but did you see sort of a hint that Brian Azzarello is saying that comedian could possibly be gay, or at least bi, with his with his love yeah. for the the Kennedys? Yeah, I can see where you're coming from there, but I'm not quite sure if that's what he was getting at. Yeah, it's I hard to say. I hope that's not what he was getting at. The, the comedian's my least favourite character in The Watchmen. I, he actually makes me feel a little ill. But that's yeah. the point, though, so at least he was successful. But the, I just, it's just that this book really annoyed me, and then it, it just doesn't flow. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I was actually complaining out loud while I was reading. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on here? One minute he's here, and then he's here. What's, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> totally right. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm with Crystal. This was the, the least enjoyable issue for me, in my opinion. I just I thought it was terrible, to be honest with you. I just didn't really do it for me at all. So, um, except, uh, so really, one look. Zero. And that's being generous. So that wraps up our comic review. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, we will touch on the other before Watchmen issues when they come out. You know, a whole bunch of other come come out. We'll do. We'll revisit them. Don't make um, me read them. Hopefully they're better. <laughs> you don't have to read them if you don't want to. Yes, you do. No. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, the one I'm, I'm more interested in uh, is uh, obviously the Rorschach one. But once again, that one I might read. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Thanks very much. And uh, moving on to our competition winners. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so like I said at the start, we had our competition, and uh, we have our winners. It ended uh, yesterday. Uh, the winners have already been um, notified, so you guys know who you are. But uh, just to, to tell everybody else, tell the rest of our crew, I just want to say uh, um, thank you very much to everybody that entered. It was awesome. We've got a, 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 a huge response. Uh, it's it really, really great. And... Um, Obviously, it was a lot easier once we got rid of questions one and three. <laughs> so sorry about that. We'll keep that in mind for our next competition. Uh, but uh, yeah, they, they once they were removed, uh, the answers flowed in, and uh, it was good. So uh, we put the names in a hat, and in the I say hat because we don't really have any hats around here. It was just, it was just a bowl, but it sounds cool when you say hat. It was in a wizard's hat. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, drew out the winners. So um, first prize, which was a copy of the prestige novel. Uh, a copy of the V for Vendetta hardcover, V for Vendetta DVD, and a double weekend pass to Oz Comic Con, thanks to Oz Comic Con, uh, was Peter Gilson of Victoria. So, uh, yeah. Well done, dude. Yay. High five, Peter. <laughs> so, congratulations. Uh, now, a runner-up. This is a, this is an interesting Our runner-up, uh, uh, the prize pack was a copy of the Prestige uh, novel uh, in the DVD, the film, and Killing Joke Trade, and a double weekend pass to Oz Comic Con. Um, was actually won by Richard Turney of Bakersfield, USA, um, which I think is in California, Bakersfield, um, is, and uh, he's awesome. He's actually already replied, uh, and he said, he said that because he's in the States, he can't use the Oz Comic Con ticket, uh, so he volunteered for it to uh, be given to a third prize winner, which we originally weren't going to have. So that is awesome, Richard. You're a champion. Yeah, well and, done, Richard. Um, that is really, really cool. So uh, I'll send off the other stuff. And uh, we'll, so we actually drew out a, um, a third name in order to win the Oz Comic Con ticket because uh, no one wanted to go to waste. And uh, the third, so the winner of the Oz Comic Con ticket double pass is Cassandra of Victoria. So congratulations to all three of our winners. Brilliant stuff. Well done, everybody. Yay! Celebrate good times! Come, Come on! on.
And a huge thank you to everyone who entered. So the Oz, Oz Comic Con tickets obviously uh, donated uh, generously donated by Oz Comic Con themselves, um, which is only a week away. So next weekend, Oz Comic Con people in Melbourne, June 30, July 1st. Awesome stuff. Tickets are on sale now from Ticketmaster or at the door. Um, and there's a huge list of special guests. Some of them, uh, some of the ones that we've mentioned previously, are now no longer attending for uh, other because they've had other commitments. So um, Tia Korea, uh, one of the Hunger Games girls, that sort of stuff, uh, unfortunately won't be attending. Oh, and the reanimator guy. Oh, oh. that's a shame. Uh, but they've had uh, some some awesome replacements to to make up for it. So the list is actually now the list of special guests is actually now bigger and uh, really exciting. So. We've got Fran Kranz from Dollhouse, um, and also Kevin Lewitz, uh, Sharon Taylor from Stargate Atlantis, uh, Max Grodenchik, who played Rom in the Star Trek Next Generation. Oh, awesome. Which is uh, pretty <laughs> cool. So, <laughs> now you, so now you've got uh, Rom and Quark, and Quark which awesome. is uh, that's a cool, cool combo. Um, and a bunch of uh, comic um, creators are going to be there as well. Uh, they've announced uh, Bobby N from Digested, now number one comic for 2011. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, a fan of the show, Bobby. Uh, Wayne Nichols from Exiles. Uh, Tom Taylor from Star Wars. Brian Artis from Star Wars. Uh, Christian Reed from Unmasked. And W. Chu Chan, who uh, has done a heap of stuff. I'm not going to list everything, but was also the storyboard artist for Superman Returns. Uh, so check it out. Oz Comic Con. It's going to be huge. Crew's going to be there. Uh, well, at least Richard and myself. <laughs> not the whole crew. Some of us have to and, make uh, money. It's going to be huge. So. Uh, Check us out, and for more information, check out their website um, and uh, also our post on our website. Coming next, coming soon. Okay, out on June 28, we get Ice Age Continental Drift. Yet another Ice Age film. No! How many have they made of those things now? I don't know, this is like four, I suppose. This is four. You're going to keep yeah, going till we cover the whole Ice Age. Who knows? Although, funnily enough, they made. Uh, was it was it this or Madagascar that made more money than Prometheus? So Madagascar. Yeah, it was Madagascar. Yeah. Madagascar. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, um, and also on that same day we get the Three Stooges. No, no! I'm not going to be seeing that one. Oh, it just looks awful. Yeah. Oh, I just I don't know. Nah, doesn't do it for me at all. Then the following week we get a, an interesting one. I don't know. Didn't know whether to announce it, but I just thought it would be funny. Uh, we get Katy Perry, All of Me. <laughs> oh dear! A, a God. documentary slash rockumentary, mockumentary. Is, I don't is that know. meant to be like Moonwalker or anything like that? I, I have no idea. I, it's I'll basically an infomercial for her new yeah, album. Yeah, it's just, it's an ad for Katy Perry, really. But if you're a fan, check it out. Enjoy. It's, uh, interesting. Uh, and then uh, also in that week we get uh, Ted, Marky Mark, isn't he? Yeah, it's Marky Mark and uh, Seth MacFarlane's um, about talking teddy bear. Talking teddy bear. Which look is terribly funny. interesting. And of course, we get the amazing Spider-Man. Oh no! The, the reboot that had to happen, according to Sony. <laughs> yeah, Dear God. And we'll be reviewing that on Stop the next episode. Stop rebooting it. Let him get older. <laughs> so uh, none of that actually uh, excites me, to be honest with you. So no. what's more exciting though is that uh, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark fever at NCP's favorite cinema, the Yasta. Uh, oh Raiders yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark will be shown uh, all week. Basically, July first, July seventh. Kalima. <laughs> no, this is well, Raiders. Raiders doesn't have color. It doesn't have. Yeah, but it, it goes with my earlier comment. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome because Raiders Last Dark, one of the greatest films ever made, and uh, on the big screen. Yep. Brilliant. I saw it on the big screen when I when I was in uh, grade six. 
No, actually, sorry, it was Temple of Doom. Or something. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, I was too young for Raiders. Yeah, <laughs> so was I, not being born. Shut up. <laughs> you weren't born. Raiders got that. That's, that's going to be my 81. new catchphrase. Shut up, Luke. He was born in December 81. <laughs> oh, just missed he's, it. He's a youngin. Maybe, maybe, did your mum go and see it while you were... Gestating? Yeah, I apologise to anybody, especially Frank. I apologise if I did that wrong. 
And yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks yeah. for letting us know that you're listening. And uh, yeah. so, and then thanks to everybody else. I mean, it's, I, these are just the people that we know about. So it's good um, to know that our voices aren't just going out there into the ether. That's right. That's a very good point. And you mean, just, we're, we're doing this so that other people can listen. <laughs> <laughs> just Shh, thanks, basically just thanks to everybody. Uh, um, this is, I mean, this is why we do it. Essentially, just so we can, you know, reach the the world. Through the, the marvel of technology. Preach to you our manifesto. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> You're a weed mood today. So we like us on Twitter and, feed, and follow us on Facebook. Is that it? Uh, yes. <laughs> That's a nice segue too. Don't forget you can contact us by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com or post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast or tweet us at, at nerdculturecast. And don't forget you can also leave a comment on any of our posts on the website like some people have for my Prometheus posts. All right. www.nerdculturepodcast.com And most importantly, this is what keeps us in business, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. And when I say keeps us in business, it doesn't give us any money. It just makes us look cool. And that's what's really important. <laughs> that's, that's what we're feeds, about here. Feeds our egos. Can't you tell we were geeks and nerds growing up in high school? <laughs> <laughs> We've actually got 25 ratings now. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Keep them coming. Right. We love the reviews, good or bad. We, we don't care. We just want reviews. Tell us what. Tell us what we're doing. Good. Tell us what we're doing. Bad. Talk to us. <laughs> just talk to us, please. So next episode, we've got Dust Jacket with I Robot by Isaac Asimov and a popcorn junkie on The Amazing Spider-Man and a plane going overhead. <laughs> That's thanks from me and the crew. Richard, I know what evil lurks somewhere. Luke. I I know what evil lurks in my own heart. And Crystal. Well, we know how to fix that. Kalima! Kalima! <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>